Thank you so much for this uh, incredible account uh, given by the doctor's gospel of that first day, the day that we celebrate even today. And we remember, Lord, uh, the wonder of that day and the resurrected Savior revealed himself uh, in a wonderful way on the road to Emmaus, but not only there, but then in the upper room uh, to, the, uh, to the eleven and, uh, and presented to them the glory of his life and ministry. And Father, we, we stand now 20, 20 centuries later, 21 centuries later, doing the same thing, remembering the victory that was won at the cross and displayed with your approval through the resurrection, declared Son of God with power through the resurrection. Thank you for that. Lord, take the word now and challenge us, change us. Some here may not know you as Lord and Savior. Draw them. If you don't draw them, dead, hardened sinners will never be saved. Thank you for the work, the miracle of regeneration that you've accomplished in so many of our hearts in the response of repentance and faith. They're the fruits of repentance. Thank you for that. And thank you, Lord, for growth and grace. And may the reality of the empty tomb mean more to us today than ever in all of our life. May it impact the, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our dollars, the things we count valuable and important. Lord, may we say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain all because of the resurrection. As we're reminded of his words, therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your work in the Lord is not in vain, all because of the empty tomb. Thank you so much. Bless the word now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please uh, keep your Bible open to the, uh, the account that Cody just read, Luke uh, 24. I want to uh, deliver a message I've entitled, The First Easter Sermon. The First Easter Sermon. I'm not wild about the name Easter. It comes from Ishtar, and it's a pagan deity and all that. But Easter in our day and age means, in the 20th century, uh, it, it refers to the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? So some of you are like, oh, I hate the word Easter and what it refers to. It doesn't mean any of that in pagan America today. It doesn't. They, they're not sure what it means, but it, uh, it's the comments of why fight City Hall on it and say, Happy Resurrection Day. That would say it. That would say it. Uh, but on your calendars, mine printed, it shows Easter. So there you go. So if you'll allow me and not say, Well, Pastor, I ought to know his Bible better than call it Easter sermon. You know what I'm saying. We're speaking to and living in a culture, okay? He is risen. All right. All right. One more time. He is risen. All right, that's what I like. All right. In human history, there have been some events that were so huge, they changed life forever. We could focus on people, but I'd rather talk about events. There are some events that have changed the course of history. Life as it was known would never be the same again. Never. Never. We often call these game changers, don't we? That's a, that's, a, that's a game changer. I mean, we're hoping this year, Jonathan's on the phone saying, the Buffalo Bills, I think, are going to have a great draft. It's going to be a game changer for them. Well, you don't have, the bar's pretty low, and you don't have to do much. <laughs> 
They have a game changer there. But we're talking about game-changing events. A few come to my puny mind, right? The wheel. I mean, the wheel, right? Aren't you glad someone invented the wheel? I mean, so that's an expression, right? Why, invent, why reinvent the wheel? In other words, we say someone else has already discovered it. Let's, let's use what is in the collective knowledge of what people have. Why reinvent it? I mean, some of you like uh, Fred Flintstone and all that, and their square tires on their cars and Fred's feet and all that. But, uh, you know, like a wheel does work better, doesn't it? It really, really does. Why? That's a game changer. I mean, you would have walked here not too many years ago or ridden on a, uh, a, a buckboard wagon or something to come to church. How about the combustion engine? That's huge. They measure that in horses, right? Or 50 horses under the hood there, you know, like, oh, that's a B-50. It runs on nitro, you know, <laughs> on some of your car. <laughs> and we still measure it in horses, but aren't you glad somebody somewhere invented, like, let's squirt a little gas in there and ignite it, and then we'll force it, and it'll turn something, that'll turn something, and then, wow, here we are. Thank you so much. Imagine if you had to cut your lawn. I used to have a rotary thing. Oh, that was a pain. No engine on it, push that thing, you know. Now we got motors, now you got, and uh, uh, Chris was telling me, Dave, your brother, yesterday, he's got a zero radius turning thing. He said, I turned that baby on a dime. 65 inch, like combustion engine. Be thankful for that, right? Game changer. How about the, uh, how about penicillin? Oh, we take it for granted. Wasn't too long ago. Not too many years ago, not too many decades ago. And, in Paris, where they discovered, you know, there's mold on that bread there. Now imagine that. It turns out to be penicillin. Now we've all overdosed on antibiotics, and now we've got other issues. But uh, thank the Lord for that, truly. This past week, we in our family, you never know how God prays. You pray for your family. Faith and I are praying for our little babies. And little M, she's already had a bucket load of health issues, right? Sarah called and said, pray for M. She's got really bad stomach ache. Her bottom is so sore. I, she won't even let me touch it. She's the only one of all of us uh, that has this. She won't eat. Uh, in fact, we got a picture, and, and her belly sticking out. She had a Band-Aid on her stomach because I'm thinking that, that owie would help her. It didn't help, and, and so on. Well, you know, as we can pray for her, we don't know what she has. She picked up, maybe it's a flu. And you know, now they're reticent to give anything out uh, of, because of the overuse of antibiotics and some of the issues with that. But um, Greg called the, the pediatrician, said with everything else that Emma's had, why don't we give her some amoxicillin or something? You know, uh, kind of a broad spectrum type thing. And uh, as it turned out, the next night, Sarah was so exhausted, taking care of her, this is the third day now of this illness, Greg got up, uh, which is not all that common, and changed her diaper in the middle of the night, and it turns out the diaper had blood in it. And so Greg happened to see it, wrapped it up, said, I'll take this to the hospital and the lab tomorrow. Lo and behold, if it doesn't turn out, the little thing had salmonella. And they go like, thank the, it could have killed her. And thank the Lord they had started a day and a half earlier, amoxicillin, be able to fight that bacteria. You know, I go like, you don't know how, but antibiotics, what a, a game changer, amen? I, I think so. So much so we're addicted to them, right? I, I want, you know, that kind of game changer. How about the airplane? 
If Mark and Deb went to Hawaii, they'd still be walking or swimming or boating or something. I, I don't like. And we and air travel. You know that wasn't too long ago. The Wright brothers and San Simone down in Brazil. Who knows, right? We go like, yeah. I, I had to wait an extra hour on the tarmac. Like it's a pain. It beats walking. Beats walking, right? You know how they used to go out in the Oregon Trail? I'll see you may maybe in a couple of months. Start walking. That's what Mechanicsburg was named after, right? So I said, well, that's a funny name. Oh, yeah, they used to fix the, the uh, Conestoga wagons going this way, and they had all the mechanic shops. And what, I was thinking, well, they didn't get very far, and they needed repair. You know, like, it, yeah, walking the Oregon Trail. If you ever drove 80, you're like, oh, those people walked, walked. Holy cow, where are the, where are the McDonald's and rest stops, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, the airplane, what a great... That, that changed everything, right? Changed everything. Game changer. How about the computer chip? Oh, what a game changer. That little silicon wafer with all the switches on that. Zeros and ones, they tell me. Zeros and ones. Have no idea what they're talking about, but the computer chip, it don't we use it for everything now? And it's a game changer. And how about nuclear power? You know, they, they, the, the heat generated from splitting uh, an atom uh, heats up steam and turns the turbines and makes electricity and everything else and, and, and other things too. <laughs> wow, game changer. That brought the end of World War II there in a hurry. Wow. Well, as great as these things are, and they are, they're not the greatest game changer in, in history. It is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. That's the ultimate game changer. I mean, death is 100%. Have you ever noticed that? The wages of sin is death. We're all on a parade that ends in death. Some of us drop off sooner than the other. Some of you barely look like you're hanging on right now. But we all end at the... What is the only thing? I mean, what, when you think about it, what is it? The fact that someone died three days later, busted out of there? The living Lord? It is the great game changer. It is the great ultimate perspective changer of all times. Of all times, it is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen. risen Amen. All right. The ripple effect of this empty tomb will extend forever and ever and ever throughout all eternity. Listen, as I, if I understand it right, when I see the post-resurrected body of Jesus, uh, he didn't need an airplane. We won't need airplanes. Like, I'm going over to this celestial, beam me up, Scott. It's going to be even better than that. I mean, he just suddenly appears. I heard Dave Jeremiah say that uh, yesterday. I and mean, then he was talking about the resurrection. It made me laugh. You're like, the Lord just appeared uh, in the upper room. And he said, not a bad thing for parents with kids in the room, right? I'm coming up there, and I'm going to just kind of show up, you know. Like, <laughs> Just a whole new way of, of training children when they're fighting at night in their bed, right? Uh, just showing, wow, we won't need airplanes. And we certainly know you can keep all your penicillin. You won't need any scripts. There won't be any doctors, no hospitals, no pharmacies. Don't need it. Amen? Amen. Don't need Obamacare. How about that? So he said, I don't need it now. I don't know. Look, I don't know about that. Don't get into that. Won't need anything. Oh, isn't that great? Why? Because of the resurrection. It's the ultimate game changer. Some of you have allergies this time. Your poor faith, he suffers with that. 
She's my weather girl. When the weather changes, I know it about six hours ahead of time. The poor thing walks around like this, you know. I know it's not living with me. It's got to be the weather. She's not going to have that in glory. I'm telling you, it's the ultimate. You know, it's the ultimate. Even our teeth, right? Our teeth are crumbling. They're crumbling as everything else is crumbling. But uh, it will be great. Here's the Lord in his post-resurrection. He's eating fish. Where's a piece of fish? He's eating fish and he's eating... I mean, we're going to eat in heaven? Of course. Their fruit tree is going to bear every month. Not bad. Here's the Lord eating meat in his post-resurrected body. Not bad. We're going to have, some of you are going to have your salmon. You've been wondering, at red lobster, are we going to have, yes, we're going to, here's the Lord. It's terrific. It's all because of the resurrection. It's the ultimate game changer, the resurrection of the Lord. Since this is true, it's only right I'd say in the introduction that Jesus should be the one to deliver the first Easter sermon on the very day he conquered death. I mean, it was his. He owned it. He paid the price. Why shouldn't he be the first one to, to proclaim it? And he is. It cost him everything, and only Dr. Luke records it. <clears throat> he records the sermon in verses uh, 24, verses 44 to 49 in the upper room. You might call it, if you will, the ultimate show-and-tell. Did you love show-and-tell in school? I remember half my elementary grade, I was always bugging the teacher. Can we have show-and-tell tomorrow? Can we have show-and-tell tomorrow? We want to have show No, we have show-and-tell on Friday if you're good. <laughs> Most of you aren't good, and it doesn't look like we're going to have show-and-tell this week. <laughs> but I want to bring my frog in, and I want to bring this in, and that in. Am I the only one like that? Am I? Are you there? He is risen. You are there. Okay. <laughs> It was the ultimate show and tell in the upper room. I mean, here it is. And then he's going to preach his sermon. And it's marvelous. And it's a simple little sermon. Three elements of Jesus' Easter sermon calling us to carry this great news to the world. For we have not something new. The world keeps saying, what's new? What's new? No, we don't have something new. We have news. News. We're the delivery boys and girls. We're the newspaper carriers. We didn't make it, we deliver it. The Lord drove that in home in my own life years ago. For six and a half years, I got up at like five in the morning in Buffalo, 365 days a year, and then some, <laughs> to deliver the paper. I never wrote it, but I delivered it. The Lord's going to drive it into my heart. You don't make it, you don't write it, just deliver it. I'll take care of producing. And I go, I, I drop back to that. How, how is it, why is it, I have a question about that. Why is it when we get older, some of those events way back there are real clear? More clear than what I did last Thursday. I can't even remember, you know? But I can remember, I don't, it, you know, uh, anyone with me on that? He is risen. risen indeed. <laughs> Make sure you're there. All right. We have news. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. I tell you, that changed everything. Well, the sermon has three, three elements. I'll give it to you right now. Uh, his sermon was biblical. A lot of sermons today aren't biblical. I don't know what they are. I don't know what they are. Feel good, scratch here, felt needs, you know, just suck it up, tell people how great they are, you know. That was biblical. It was biblical to the core. You would expect it. He's the living word. He, he, the written word testifies of him. What else is he going to do? Is he going to quote Confucius or some of that other nonsense? No. It's the Bible. 
The book, the whole book, and nothing but the book. It's, it's going to be biblical. The, his text is the entire Bible. We'll see that. Second element, his sermon's about himself. It's, uh, it focused on his death and resurrection. I'm going to say, for any other preacher, the focus on himself would be an unpardonable sin. Any pastor worth his salt is nothing more than a deflector in speaking the words of Jesus, not being the hero of his stories and presenting how wonderful he is. But here is the Lord of glory and all his glory, and it's about his death, burial, and resurrection. Wow. And third, his sermon called for a response. Any sermon worth its salt is, calls for a response. I hope that every time you hear a sermon, every time you read the word, your heart is like, Lord, change me. Make me more like Jesus. Convict me of my sin. Give me direction in my life. Comfort me. Look, you have a response to the hearing of God's word. I pray that. I pray all week long that God will drive the word deeply into my heart and then into your heart, that you might not see me, but see only the Lord and his word and be changed by it. It is only the word of God that changes us. And God, and God in the person of Jesus calls for a response here. And we'll see what that is as we carry forth the gospel. Well, a sermon is biblical. Uh, his text was the entire Bible, verse uh, 44. Uh, and then he, that's Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the Pentateuch, the prophets, that's the other major section, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Everything. That's the, that's the way that we would say, well, what's the Bible today? What well, has the Old Testament and the New Testament? In that, in that day of mind, they would say just that. Moses, the prophets, and the writings, or the Psalms. That's just another way of referring to the entirety of, the, of that day of the Old Testament, he's saying. And, and so on. So we need to grasp the fact that the entire Bible is about Jesus. He just doesn't show up in Matthew. I say that over and over and over again. He shows up in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you come to Colossians 1, you discover that in the Godhead, it was the Lord Jesus who's speaking the creation into being. The pre-incarnate Lord of glory. He and so the Lord proclaims the gospel promise from the Old Testament. And all who have ever proclaimed Jesus' resurrection through the centuries of time stand, as it were, in a long line that began with him. A long line. This, this hit me one day when I was watching the history of West Point. Beautiful history up there on the Hudson River, you know, and uh, the cadets up there and, and a rich history. And uh, they were going back and giving different stories of different grads of the West Point uh, Academy there. And they called it the long gray line of all those that have graduated and gone this, this like they envisioned it as a line. And I thought, like, what a beautiful picture uh, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ proclaiming his own resurrection. And then all that have followed in that long line stained with the blood of the cross. And, and just a few of them. How about Peter? He's for the first preacher, preacher on, the, on the day of Pentecost. He, you killed the Lord of glory. Wow. What shall we do? 
in the birthday of the church. How about Stephen? How about Paul? How about Luther? And centuries of time, and there I see in the line is Calvin. And, and I look a little further, and there's Charles Spurgeon there in London preaching away the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. And then I got to thinking about my own life, you know, and the passage of time. And, and I thought about the pastors that God blessed in my life, and of which I still incidentally thank the Lord for. I mean, they're in glory. And I go, Lord, thank you for Pastor Leo Griffin, who was faithful when I was a boy to preach the gospel. And that when he preached the gospel, the love of Jesus, and you opened my heart and saved me as a young boy. Thank you for him. I pray, and, and there are some days I pray, if there are any in this extended family now, many years later, that don't know Jesus, that you would draw them and save them. And Lord, thank you for Orlin Wilhite, and, and Pastor Griffin is in glory. And thank you for Pastor Orlin Wilhite, uh, that uh, was a pastor in my, during my high school years, those turbulent 60s, and they were crazy days. And he stood firm for the cross. And I remember him standing firmly against that that was touted as so wonderful, Jesus Christ, superstar, and he preached the gospel so hard and called that for what it was. And, uh, and God blessed that ministry and his life and, and so on. He's now in heaven. And then I thought of, uh, uh, of another pastor, Tommy Thomas, who when I was in college, I attended his church there in Scranton. And uh, Dr. Thomas is now in glory. He, he passed in the 90s. And and then our family pastor, uh, Pastor Jim Andrews, who uh, at 63 uh, developed uh, pancreatic cancer. He had planted a church there in Buffalo, and, and God uh, it blessed the church and the work. And, and uh, like Jim Boyce, very similar to Jim Boyce, he got pancreatic cancer. I think Boyce had the liver maybe. And uh, he got it, and in, in, in months later he, he stopped preaching. And uh, he came out Thanksgiving. They wheeled him out. And he loved the people and told them how much he loved them. And he said, I have taught you for 25 years how to live for Jesus. Now I'm going to teach you how to die for, in Jesus. And he loved the people and blessed the people. And God took him to heaven. And we stand in this long line of those that have gone on before. Do you see the picture of it? It began with, on this side of the empty tomb by Jesus himself. And then there's... Pastor John Strong, who uh, was uh, a pastor that was a uh, teacher of mine, a mentor in Indiana who's now in glory. And the only pastor that I have that is still living, he's faithful at Calvary in the, in the Bethlehem, Pennsylvania area, uh, Pastor Larry Bird, B-U-R-D. And he's, he's past retirement, but he's still preaching the gospel of Jesus in this long line. Are there any that stand out in your I want to just ask you, are there a pastor or two that stand out in your mind? Just quickly. He is risen? All right, you're there. Are there any pastors? Yes, Susan? Pastor Santos, now in glory. Vicki? Tom Mc... Amen. And that's New Jersey, right? Right here. Oh, that's wonderful. Who else? Yes? Liz? Wow, banger man. My brother had lived up there for a while. John? Charles Westgate. Charles Westgate. Others? Quickly, Barb? 
in Charmistown. Yeah. A couple more? The long lines, so many of them preaching. Yes. Isn't that great? Lisa, wow. Isn't that, isn't that, that's a blessing. That's a, that's your heritage. And, and that's not a, it's not like God said, well, gee, I didn't know you were going to show up there or that he was going to be there. God has his, his pastors and, and, and proclaimers of the gospel. And, and some of you think of Sunday school teachers and some of you have been in Sunday school teaching where you proclaim that and you're part of that. This long line of those that proclaim the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And it began, it began with him. Look at A, under uh, his sermon was biblical. Jesus began reminding his disciples of what he had told them before his death. Now finally they're ready to hear it. Things were different now. We, you know, we read that through the Gospels like over and over and over. I must needs go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed by them, and raise the third day. And they're like, uh, yes, who's the greatest? You know, like, what? <laughs> Did you just like, you know, uh, are you there? The lights are on, but it looked like nobody's home. You see, they weren't ready for that. They were thinking of perhaps a different kind of Messiah to deliver them from the Romans, maybe, in the yoke, that political. So the Lord was thinking of something wholly different. Wholly different. Wholly different. But now they're ready. Now, they're ready to receive the truth of what he had been trying to teach them all this time. You know, we're like that, right? Uh, I can read a Bible passage, and I've read a passage many, many times, but life is not, have you noticed, it's not the same, it's moving. And stuff is happening to me and for me, and I'm doing, and I'm not the same, nor you are the same. And then when I open the Word and I read it, perhaps a verse I saw before, asking the Spirit of God to teach, I go, whoa, oh, I never saw that before. I read the verse a million times. And it just knocks me out. Have you had that experience? Have you? Yes. Now it's because God has opened your heart through experience, growth, whatever it is, temptation, trial. I mean, Luther used to say the best way to study your Bible, the best way to study your Bible, A, is to pray, Lord, open my eyes. B, meditate on it. And C, endure affliction. It's amazing how it is when we're in deep, deep, and we're in the deep, deep, deep stuff. Our hearts are open. We go like, whoa. Or our hearts are ripped open versus at the beach. Not too much good stuff at the beach. Like, oh, boy, did God give me. I mean, it can happen. Of course it can, of course. But it's, man, when we're suffering or when we're struggling or when we're looking up, God has a way of speaking. The Puritans used to say, um, God whispers to us in our pleasures, and he shouts to us in our affliction. That's not bad. That's not a bad way to look at it. And though we are a lot of times, Lord, keep me happy and keep everybody satisfied. And, oh, and, then, and we're like, oh, that's the, the, the faint voice of God. And, and, and like, oh, no, I've got something I want to teach you. And you can only learn it going through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe. Wow. Well, B, Jesus unfolded the Old Testament, Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, 
Jesus is the key to understanding the Old Testament. That John 5, 39, let me quote it. Jesus saying to his enemies there, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, that is the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Now what were the scriptures he was referring to in that day? The Old Testament. They bore witness of Jesus. He's the key to understanding the scriptures. And so the Lord used every part of it in his ministry. He began with it, his public ministry there in Nazareth. I have it on your sheet in Luke 4. Uh, they hated him for it in the synagogue. He took the scroll to open it to Isaiah 61. And, and, uh, and then he ended up saying, this day this has been fulfilled. Isaiah 61, 1 uh, through 2a. Well, they didn't like that at all. They go, we think we know him. That's a, that's a great sermon in itself where it says, you know, familiarity with Jesus often brings ignorance. You know, people think they know him. There are a lot of churches today that, that his name is being uttered. But do they really know him? Do they really know the resurrected Savior? Oh, I think we know him. We grew up hearing about him. But uh, do they really know him and own him as Lord and Savior? And then the Lord ends his ministry quoting it and fulfilling it. Tetelestai, it is finished. And, and, uh, and so on. As he finishes his final words on the cross, he's very aware. He said, everything written about me uh, in, the, in the scriptures must be fulfilled. I was thinking about that this week. Everything must be fulfilled. You know, sometimes they'll have these films or stories where you change the events that happen. And then the outcome, you know, you, you change things. You go back in time and maybe change, change it. And then they play with the results of, the, of that. You know, you never, you never met back. It wasn't back to the future like that, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I knew I got that somewhere. But uh, think about that with the Lord Jesus. If uh, he said now, so that's pretty good authority, right? Everything must be fulfilled that was been written. Imagine if there was one or two things not. What, what would have happened? Would all the reality fractured and went into a thousand pieces? You know, like the whole thing starts shaking, an earthquake, and why? It wasn't fulfilled. So one item was missed. I, I almost get that idea when the Lord's on the cross and he's thinking about the scriptures and the prophecy about him being offered something to drink, and he says, I thirst. I think he was looking at the Final little details that, that, that was foretold to him hundreds of years ahead of time to make sure that they were fulfilled. And they offered him something to drink. You remember that? It must be fulfilled. I can't imagine what would have happened to the cosmos if it didn't happen. His whole life is governed by the promises and prophecies of the Word of God. So we could say to really know the Old Testament was to really know Jesus. And his simple sermon was, it was biblical to the core. It, it taught clearly what God had said. It was all about him. But not only was it biblical, but it uh, was about him. It focused on his death and resurrection. Verses 45 and 6, look at that. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. And he said to them, this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That was the core content of his message. I said earlier, for any other preacher to focus upon himself would be evil, but not for the glorious one. It reminds me that the book, the Bible, is to be dis spiritually discerned. The Lord opened their minds. 
Take a clue from that when you study your Bible. Say, Lord, you sit down at a table, get a cup of coffee, go, Lord, uh, help me to focus on your word. Teach me, Lord. The Spirit of God is our teacher, our guide. Lord, may the Spirit of God illumine my puny mind to think your great thoughts after you, that I might understand you and love you and worship you and serve you uh, more fully, more completely, even today. Open my mind, the, the eyes of my soul. That's what the Lord's doing to the, to the 11 disciples, that they might understand the Scripture. The Bible is a spiritually discerned book, and we need God's help to rightfully understand it. It is far more than an academic exercise. Now, if you were to look through my library, you'd see a number of enormous volumes on the history of Greek and classical Greek and Koine Greek, written by a lot of the higher German critics uh, in the German universities in the 1800s. These men, and they were men uh, that wrote this uh, compilation of Greek studies and the etymology of Greek words, they, did, they were not evangelical believers in, in, in the slightest. A number of them were almost atheists, but they loved language, they loved research, they loved the academic setting. You go like, what? How could they handle the oracles of life so and miss the glory of Christ? It's not an academic exercise. It's not. It's these things in this book are spiritually discerned. Paul wrote that to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, uh, at 1 Corinthians uh, 2.14, for the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit are the Word of God. These things are spiritually discerned. It comes in through the heart, through the mind to the heart, for us to receive them. And if the 11 who spent three years with him needed that, how much more do we? God's help to rightfully understand his word. Well, what's our problem? Say, I have a lot of problems. Sin is our biggest problem. We're sinners. We are sinners. And the result of that is it blinds us. Now, sight is a great thing. And in faith in our life, we've been thinking about it even more as she's now two weeks ago had her eye cut open and had eye surgery done and is still recovering from that. And uh, I was nervous that she would see me for what I was and, and didn't think I was uh, half-decent looking anymore. But uh, she sees with greater clarity, and she's not left me yet. So that's good news. You know, that's good. Not as good as he has risen. That's the better news. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to loosen this up yet. Yeah, that's right. But isn't sight a glorious thing? Sin blinds us so that we're stumbling around in the dark. Dullness is the result. Have you ever been dull? You know, I don't mean the speaker dull, but have you been dull of mind? You're like, Lord, I can't get it in gear today. I'm sort of in the fog. Sin has that effect on us. You know, when a Christian wanders into sin, they, all of a sudden the Word of God gets dull. There's a dulling effect. We're not sharp. We're not where we ought to be. And, uh, and so we don't see life for as it is. We're not looking at Him and it's a danger, it's a warning. Sin dulls us. Sin is our great problem. And so the natural man who's unregenerate, he's not saved, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Finally, you see, finally in that upper room at this moment during the sermon, the disciples had an aha moment. Did you ever have that? I have those. I have a lot of those. A lot of them are like simple things, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I see it. What was the matter with me? I was studying in the sport I've been working with for a while, 
dealing with, I was talking to Liz about it earlier, about the physiology and physics of diving, and I go like, what is wrong with me? I can't figure this out. You know, I go, I told my instructor, I think I'm losing it. He goes, just stay at it, stay at it, stay at it, stay at it, stay at it. All of a sudden, I go like, I think I figured it out. It was like, aha! I said, see, I knew you could do it. You just look stupid. You're not stupid. But you think like, there's hope for all of us. You know, and then spiritually, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, oh, once I was blind, now I see. Wow, that's the man who was healed from, with his sight. That's us when, he, when God opens the Word and, and meets with us and teaches us. Wow. Well, be, Jesus proclaimed and taught the Scriptures presenting himself and his work until they got it. You know, that's, that's what it is. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of folks that get discouraged. There's power in the gospel, and we believe that. And it's changed many of us, right? It's changed me. I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't even know me if it wasn't for the gospel. I'd be somewhere else, probably uh, in a tough spot, right? If even alive. Uh, but we go like, they don't, I, I share the gospel. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. You know, they don't, they don't see it. They don't. They don't get it. They don't get it. They, and the Lord is our example here, you know. I mean, here he spent three years and they didn't get it. And then finally, they, they got it. The Spirit of God, the filling of the Spirit, they, they saw it. They got it. And, and that's our work, you know. That's my work as a, as a pastor. You read the pastoral epistles. One of the things, we're called to be like farmers, athletes and, and soldiers. But farmers, what's a farmer do? Every single day, just, just keep plodding away. Keep plodding away. You think the farmer makes the corn grow? He's not even a cheerleader. Grow, 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 grow. No. Cultivated, hates the weeds, gets them out of there, gets it ready, and then he just waits on the Lord. Sunshine, rain, and God wonderfully takes that kernel and it produces hundreds and hundreds in his timing. In his timing. We need the patience of the Lord just to keep doing the same work, that the Lord will accomplish His work in us. Be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. It's the greatest thing, is faithfulness and dependability in the work. That's our Lord. Here He is again. He's patiently teaching them again, and it's a point for all of us. And so, one, He proclaimed Himself from Moses, prophet, and Psalm. Well, like what? In Genesis 3.15, right? He's the seed of the woman. Genesis 12, He's the blessing for the whole world. The son that would come through Adam, uh, through Adam to Abraham there. And Exodus 3 and 4, he's the I am. Before Abraham was, I am. In Isaiah 7, he's, he's uh, the, the fruit of the virgin that would conceive. In 9, he's a son whose kingdom is forever. In 53, he's the suffering lamb of God who dies for us. In Psalm 2, he's the royal son. Kiss the son and pay homage to him. In 16 and 22, 22 is the hymn of the cross. And Psalm 110 is, is that glorious psalm that the Lord even uses in asking his enemies there. Uh, and they couldn't answer, how could uh, David's son be his Lord? It refers to the incarnation. And more, Jesus told of the scriptures that mentioned his resurrection. Psalm 16:10, you'll not abandon me nor see corruption. I mean, they got it because this became part of the very first sermons at Pentecost. They connected that because the Lord had taught them. That pointed to me. David's bones, he's out. He's done. 
That points to me. There's no corruption. Three days in the tomb, no corruption of that body, and God raised him up and prospered him after that. He's the Exodus 12, the Passover lamb, and on and on and on and on it goes. It all points to Jesus. It all points to him. And as you study your Bible and read it, look for him on every page, in symbol, in type, in person. He is the Malak Elohim. He is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. That's who Manoah saw there. It was, he got instruction for Samson in the Nazarite vow from birth. It is the Malak Elohim, the angel, the messenger of the Lord. That's Jesus. Why do you ask my name? Sing, it is wonderful. Sounds like Isaiah 9. It all weaves together beautifully. Well, the sermon was biblical. It was about himself, the only one who could ever deliver a sermon about himself without it being sinful. And last, his sermon called for a response. It was more than a class lecture. You see, a sermon is not simply a lecture. Well, we'll draw the line here today, and we'll come back next Monday, and we'll do the same thing. I've taught uh, college class and graduate school class, and sometimes you do that when you're, when you're teaching commentary. It's not an entire meal in itself. You know, uh, it's teaching. Teaching is giving content, and it minors on the application. Whenever you teach the Word of God, it's always applicable. I realize that. But in a sermon, you're presenting biblical contact with a strong oratory. It's a call to action. It's not simply a running commentary. Well, that's it for the day, our 11. Uh, we'll come back tomorrow. At, no, he ends with... There's something that you need to do, something about your life that needs to be changed, and, uh, and that's putting the, our shoe leather on and doing something as a result of the gospel. I hope whenever you hear a sermon, you are changed by it. Your heart is warmed. You grow in greater love for the Lord. You praise the Lord. God puts his finger on sin in your life. I hope so that you become more holy and more godly, or you confess the same sin over again. Lord, help me in this thing. I want to live and serve you. And the, any good sermon you know, always ends with a call to action on our part. There's something you must do. Well, A, Jesus tells us that if we believe the gospel, then we must repent of our sin. Look at verse 47, 48. Uh, and that repentance, that's the message now, and forgiveness of sins, there's the assurance, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, all people, beginning with Jerusalem, you, the eleven, those in the upper room, are witnesses, martyria, witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. Stay here until. And that took place in Acts chapter 2. His sermon called for a response. A, Jesus tells us we believe the gospel, then we must repent of our sin. Repentance and faith are the fruit of genuine salvation. Now, here's the good news. If people will open their heart, if God, if they come to Jesus, you know, and God opens their heart, and God draws them, and uh, he saves them through the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. The first two fruits of a new and changed heart is our faith, I believe, I trust in the living Savior, and second, repentance. They are the fruits of new birth. You don't work it up. You go like, I got to work up this faith. No, when God saves, 
I once was blind, but now I see. When God saves, he regenerates your heart, and you believe the gospel. It is through the gospel that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at that moment, God convicts, is convicting you of your sin. He may be convicting your sin to bring you to that point. And uh, at that point, you discover, Lord, there are a lot of things not right in my heart, my right, my soul. And there's some things I need to make right. But once I was running towards sin, and don't we? And now all of a sudden, God arrests me like Saul. And also I go like, Lord, right? And then there's a 180-degree turnaround running away from sin. Two steps forward, one back, growing in sanctification. We're his project. He's working in us to, to uh, both will and do of his pleasure. We are his trophies. It's all of him. And he works in us to do that, and we surrender to it, and so on. So repentance means to change your mind. Metanoia, change your mind about sin. You once loved it, ran towards it, lived in it, couldn't get enough of it. And now you go like, oh, it breaks the heart of God. Oh, Jesus died for that. Oh, I hate it. I abhor it. I loathe it. And even if we keep stepping in it in the days after salvation, Lord, help me. I hate it. I, and whereas we once loved it, ran to it, bathed in it, rolled in it. And now it's like, I can't do that anymore. It, I, I, it convicts me. There's, it's not right. It's the Spirit of God convicting me. And, and now I belong to my Father in heaven, and he, he corrects me for my good. We said that, you know, the other week at men's fraternity. Um, the old expression is, is uh, when God says don't, when God says don't, he's just not throwing out arbitrary rules, okay? You know, mothers will do that, right? They have all these rules. That's the rule. That's the rule. And they make up rules as they go and all. God, it's not like that. Sin is an offense to his holiness. And when God wants us to be holy and godly and satisfied, and when God says don't, he really means don't hurt yourself. It's a good way to think about it. When God says don't, don't hurt yourself. Don't put your hand in the fire. Why? Ah, you know? And, and all kinds of, of uh, examples on that. Well, so on. God changes our mind towards sin, towards righteousness. This, too, was part of the Easter sermon, repentance and faith of sin. Our God is so merciful, he'll forgive you of every sin that you've ever committed, paid for in full at the cross. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin. Wow. Martin Lloyd-Jones, MD of another, uh, several decades ago, uh, said he was talking to uh, a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, who said, uh, if, uh, if, uh, if people really believed in my institution, then that day they ins put in institution many, many people who suffered with uh, psychological illnesses and things. He said, if they really believed that they could be forgiven, I would lose half of my patients. They'd, they, they'd be declared healthy and out the door and they wouldn't need to see me anymore. Because in their heart, they know that they're guilty. And they've broken God's moral law. And they can't forgive themselves, and they can't forgive others. And, they, and, uh, and, they're, and they're chained in that. I'm saying to you that one of the great things of the, of, the, of the gospel is that it offers forgiveness. I mean, all of our sin. Back the truck up and dump it. It was all paid for at Calvary. Wow. I'm free to live, free to be holy. God saved a scoundrel like me and like you. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Praise God for that. Wow. 
Ever since our first parents sinned, God has been calling people to repentance. Adam, Adam, where art thou? Calling him to repentance. Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. You see, God gives us a new heart. It's a new heart. It's a wonderful thing. One day I was filled with self and selfishness and God saved me through the cross and the preaching of the cross and the hearing of that. And now I love the Lord with everything and, and my whole world's changed. It's a new heart. And we're, we're fulfilling the purpose for which God made us. All because of the gospel. All because of this first Easter sermon. Well, Jesus doesn't end there. In verse 48, he says, go and tell. Jesus calls us, the, the, the 11, and now us all these centuries later, to carry this message, this sermon to the whole world. He calls us to be missionaries to all the people we know. You are my witnesses. It is the one message for the whole world. It is the one prescription for all. Missionary. Missionary doesn't come from the Greek or the English. It's a, it's a Latin word, missio. Missio is to be a sent one. That's all it means, a missio. I know we have career missionaries, and uh, they're special, and we, we need to have them and support them home and abroad, and we're thankful for them. But there is a sense, we call it in, in, the, in the academy, the small M, missionary, not capital M, but the small M, in which all of us, if you know Jesus, you are a sent one, a missionary. And here we are, and we love to be here, but life doesn't go on here. Don't come here Monday hanging out. They'll kick you out. Or Tuesday. So I'm gonna, I love it, so I feel so good. I, I just love it. Uh-uh. We scatter. And intentionally as a church and in your own life as missionaries to carry the wonderful, carry the wonderful news of the empty tomb and all that it has. God's plan from the beginning was uh, to have those who have the gospel, the treasure of the gospel, should share uh, it with others. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Now you would expect him to say the opposite. Woe unto you. Why? Because you don't hear it and you won't be saved. But there is a sense of obligation in those that, that possess the gospel that we share the gospel. What the empty tomb, the cross, and, and we share that. We, Lord, how can I weave this into the conversation? And how can people see Jesus in me so they go like, how do you tick? You're so different. And how do you live with eternity in view? And that's what I want to give myself to today and forever. It's the abundant life, all because of the cross and the empty tomb. Well, God helps us in this, doesn't he? The very last verse we're looking at, verse 49, he gives us the Holy Spirit to make our witness effective. Otherwise, it would go, oh, no, non-effective. But boldness and love of Jesus in you makes your witness effective. We're all witnesses. We're either effective or sort of effective or not very effective. But it's the Holy Spirit. Lord, may the Spirit of God use me today in whatever you want to do. Empower me. Lord, I pray. I'm a coward. I'm faint-hearted. I'm afraid. I fear men. Forgive me for all those things. Use me. Grow me up so that I can carry forth this treasure of the gospel to Bill or Mary or Sally or my neighbor. And maybe I'm just working on long-term relationships and showing kindness and, and so working towards the day when I can share the love of my life, the Lord Jesus with them, all because of the gospel. So I ask, 
So I ask you, how are you? Jesus has sent you. How are you fulfilling this in your life? How are you doing that? Are you doing that? You must do that. For the gospel must not end with you. Must not. It's a long line of those who have declared it before. Don't, let, don't be the last one standing in your lineage line. But pass it on. Pass it on. Well, what can we say by so what? What difference should this make in your life and mine? Today, number one, we celebrate the greatest day in human history. Look, this day is greater than Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because it comes to this day. This is the day. This is it. Jesus Christ is risen today. Praise the Lord. It's the ultimate game changer. It'll change the way you view your money, your time, your talents, all of life. It should, it should so radicalize everything. And it'll change it. When you stand at the grave of a loved one, it'll change that. It'll change it in the hospital room. It'll change it. It will change it. It changes everything. It's the ultimate game change. Victory. Nike. Nike. Victory. We're more than victors in Jesus Christ our Lord. Number two, rejoice. For when God raised his son from the grave, he validated everything Jesus ever said or did. Validate. put a stamp of approval on it. He is the son of God with power. Power to save to the uttermost those who humble themselves in repentance and come to him in faith. Will you? Will you do that? Have you done that if you haven't done that? Number three, Jesus' empty tomb is our only hope. There's no other hope anywhere else. It's not in your health. Man knows not his hour. Faithy and I often say that. We read the paper, oh, no, oh, struck down at such a young age, or oh, to have that, ha oh, and we just remember the Lord's word. Man knows not his hour. It's not in health. This, the race is not to the strong. Usually the strong will win, but it's not a guarantee, is it? It's not to the big bank account. How much did he leave behind? He left everything, right? Everything. Man heaps up wealth not knowing who will get it, Bible said. It's not that. Our only hope is in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The chains of death could not hold the author of life. And he came forth on the third day just as he had told. Will you leave here and tell others God's marvelous love for sinners? You're a missionary. You're a witness. Join me in that. Let's do that. We're an army. We're an army. You know, there's a sense where the church is an army militant. And that's what happens in a lot of churches. You know what happens in a lot of churches? We're, we're not marching forth to fight the spiritual battle so we stay clustered together fighting each other. Because an army's made to advance. Advance in the darkness and advance against the enemy. And if we're like sitting around huddling in the war room and never out there, well, then we're always fighting against each other. Does it sound like a bunch of churches you may know? Could be that. They're out there. Let's go. Number four, forgiveness is our great need, isn't it? Only in the gospel do we find the forgiveness that we all yearn. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And finally, five, today is the acceptable day. Today, Corinthians says, is the day of salvation. Jesus is calling you to believe upon him as Lord and Savior if you've not. 
through my stumbling, fumbling words, he's saying, come and be saved. Will you humble yourself right now? He's calling. He's calling. He's waiting. Come, just as you are. Well, in a moment, after we have a little refreshment, we're going we're gonna to leave. Let me urge you to go and tell. Why? He is not here. He's risen, just as he said. He is risen. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? Father, thank you so much that we have a living message because of a living Savior. And we pray with John, Lord, as we stand 21 centuries later and say, even so, Lord, even so, come quickly. May we be that generation that's alive when you come, looking for you. But may we be busy and occupy until you take us or until you come as we often speak of the love of our life, the Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved, the blessed, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, the Lord our Shepherd. Oh, Lord, use us today and this week to celebrate, to engage in the great work, to go and tell. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.